I am so bullish what's going to happen in the next year. And I think we're going to take a lot of the learnings and the education industry. And I think you're going to see an acceleration of the economy writ large. And that will trickle down to a lot of schools and states and universities who will then see an explosion of opportunities as they start to adopt technologies. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Menzion, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders in this forum to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Menzion. Welcome to or welcome back to The Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host. And for this episode of the podcast, I was so excited to welcome a friend and a former colleague, Jamie Harper, Microsoft's Vice President for the U.S. Education Business. In this episode, Jamie and I discuss the U.S. Education Business and the wide range of priorities across students, teachers, and the business of schools what he has seen since the pandemic, and how he is leading accordingly. And for partners, we discuss what makes a great partner and why partners should engage in the opportunity to drive the transformation happening in the U.S. education market. We also discuss his career journey to vice president at Microsoft. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed my time with Jamie Harper. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Vince. Great to be here. I'm so excited to have you. You're Microsoft's vice president for the U.S. education business, and we had the chance to work together both while I was at Microsoft and then leading a partner's business with Microsoft. So really excited for the conversation today. Yeah, I, there's so much to talk about, Vince. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, Jamie, education is such a core component of Microsoft's mission. And for our listeners that don't know you and your team, can you share with us a little bit about you and your organization? Yeah, the, in Microsoft, the U.S. education business essentially supports all the K-12 school districts and as well as all of higher education. So that would be community colleges, state, public, private, as well as museums and libraries. So it's a, it's a very big remit. People that aren't familiar with the education industry Sometimes you have to remind them that includes, you know, academic medical centers, you know, working with a lot of state governments, how, you know, funds kind of come through the state houses that get appropriated for education. So it's a, it's a very dynamic business and one of the most important ones for our country, I think. Yeah, it sounds very complex, right? Because you're touching healthcare, you're touching government entities and, and the like. And tell us a little bit more about Microsoft's mission there with education. Yeah, I think that what we've come to, Vince, is that we, we really try to align with the mission of the customers and how can we use our technology, whether that's you know first party technology or our partner solutions, to really help drive the outcomes of the clients. And so whether that's graduation rates, student success, you know, impact into the, the, the skills inside of a state or region or a country. So we try to align to what the institutions are trying to do and then find those, you know, those kind of opportunities to partner and make an impact. So 
help me peel back behind the curtain. How do you go to market? What does your organization look like? If I was to look at like, is you know, I think I think people have there's a little bit of mystery for partners trying to work with teams within Microsoft. Like, is it just account execs? How do you overlay that? Like, how does that? What does that market that go to market look like? Yeah. No, it's a good question. So, well, I try to do acronym-free explanations because we, you know, we can get very complex to your point. And, and so how do we help partners is we've got a, a group of folks that are all across the country and they're, they're aligned to accounts. And so that's some of the typical, you know, titles like account executives or technical specialists. And, and then we've got a group of folks that focus on solutions, collaboration solutions, data solutions, cloud solutions, you know, that could be everything from Teams to Surface devices and, you know, Azure. We have a lot of folks that have got a lot of experience in education. So we have a lot of educational specialists throughout the entire organization. And then this this big new customer success organization, which is support that drives, you know, how do we help our customers and partners drive usage of our technology? And I think one of the things that I I like to share with partners too is, you know, Microsoft education is the oldest industry inside of our company. And we actually have a, a dedicated engineering team. So there's folks that focus just on the education outcome. And so they, they customize things like the Windows operating system, the Teams collaboration solution. They look for scenarios inside of Azure and on and on. And so we've got this unique partnership with the engineering team and we, you know, get reviewed, you know, annually across with, you know, Sacha and his uh, his leadership team on what's our progress, what are we doing to help in education. It's it was one of the first industries, and in that you know, even our founder, you know, Bill Gates was very focused on how do we help schools get access to technology, and so it, it has a very unique history, and and we try to engage with a lot of partners, uh, you know, across all kinds of different solution spectrums to kind of make the most of working together. So a complex set of solutions across a complex set of issues and problems. What does success look like at the end of the day? And I know you have a scorecard, so I was hoping maybe you can share a little bit about how what success looks like. Yeah, and I think we've been trying to simplify the the scorecards in all of our measurements. And at, you know, at the end of the day, for Microsoft, we look at you know again how are we helping our customers use our technology for their outcomes and. We try to measure that in some simple ways with consumption. So, you know, Teams, you know, Microsoft Teams is a collaboration platform. So how do we how do we help our you know schools and universities leverage Teams? And we've been on this very rapid acceleration of customizing Teams to work better in schools and universities. So we we track that in terms of how Teams is used. Azure and its entire platform is another you know really important metric for us, which will be no surprise to the partner community. And so how do we you know help our customers use more cloud computing? And I'm sure we'll talk about that in terms of how the industry is evolving. And then things like our partners, our partner solutions, we track that in terms of how many partner solutions are being used at our customers, how people are using you know Windows OEM devices and Surface devices. So those are some of the primary ways that we, we measure success. So we've all been living in this time like no other. In fact, we're at the one-year anniversary, right, of when the, the shutdown first happened. And education has really been one of the most impacted areas since the pandemic. We all experience it, especially those who have students at home learning from home. Talk to us about how you and your team 
rose to this challenge? Yeah, it's almost, I'd say that it feels like the year has gone by in a blur. You know, while I'm really optimistic in terms of, you know, what we see going forward, and there's there's a lot of things that we've done, it, it is good to reflect on how impacted the education industry was. And if you recall the, and everyone's had, you know, has a story, but if you recall that there initially was this, hey, we're going to, we're going to address COVID and then we're all going to be back to school, you know, after the summer. And so we initially were impacted in the spring, you know, February, March of last year, a lot of uh, schools kind of closed, went to virtual only, universities sent kids home. Then the summer came and a lot of people were planning for being back in person. And so plans, you know, were changing very rapidly. And I just want to call out, you know, the administrators and teachers that really had to shift multiple times. And in the fall, when the big spike came, they had to pivot again. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot of amazing work was done really across the country. And there was, there's not consistency either. Like, you know, some other countries have a ministry of education and they have an edict, hey, you must do it this way. Depending how you look at it, the pros and cons of our country is, you know, essentially everyone was was coming up with their own plan, which in some cases wasn't very helpful. But it it really lent itself to a lot of trial and error and exploration of what's going to work, what's not going to work. As some states or schools locked down, others opened up, and 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 the kind of cycle has continued now for for you know certainly a year. And so we've been trying to lean in and say, you know, how do we help quickly get to it's not just remote learning. People have got to remember it was remote work, remote research, remote healthcare, remote admissions. I mean, so that was, it really stood everyone on its head in terms of how, you know, how we could help. And we've been in, I feel like in these, these sprints to help people get there. And, um, you know, I'm really proud of what the team's done, but, you know, I, I just continually are in awe of what, you know, some of the teachers, administrators have, have done to try to help you know, our schools and universities continue to focus on their mission, certainly for the past year. Yeah, we still all saw this proliferation of devices and communication and collaboration software. I mean, Teams active usage, what, 115 million active usage? Yeah. Is, is that about the right number somewhere around there? So what did you see that you didn't expect to see? Yeah, I guess there's two areas. And one I, I covered, some of the things teachers did were unbelievable in terms of how they kind of bootstrapped, you know, in a lot of places where they didn't have a lot of access to technology. I mean, there wasn't, you know, kids didn't all have computers. There's a real divergence of access that people have in this country and how teachers tried to, you know, overcome that was unbelievable. Some of the things that we saw. And I'd say the other thing that was, that was pretty amazing is, you know, schools in particular, they do a lot of things besides learning. You know, they provide a lot of services to kids, whether that's, you know, you know, lunches and meals to other services. And so how do you keep doing that? And, you know, some of the innovation that we saw and some of the schools, you know, they didn't really even have remote work policies because they never, of course, faced anything like this. And so the innovation to keep providing the services to their communities and their students was unbelievable. And I think, you know, history will judge, I think, some of the frontline healthcare workers and certainly some of the teachers, you know, were certainly some of the heroes in my experience in trying to keep, you know, kind of the train on the tracks for learning, which was, which was really, really, really hard. Yeah. I, I so agree with you here. I mean, they have really, I have a niece who's a teacher. I mean, the, the effort, the dedication to what they're doing right now is just 
It's inspiring. If we were to fast forward, Jamie, what do you think the future state looks like? Yeah, there's a lot of people asking this question now is what, what are the, you know, there is some good things that came out of this rapid adoption of remote learning. So what do we, what can we keep, you know, what's the best of that we can keep going forward, you know, leveraging technology, you know, what else could we be doing, you know, when hopefully we don't have some of the constraints that we have right now. And I, I do think, you know, going forward, there has been this explosion of, you know, using devices and there's a better understanding, I'd say, Vince, now of, of access. And I think that was a big aha moment for a lot of people. You know, I think teachers have always known this and people who work in, you know, different school districts and universities, but not every student has access to computer, high speed internet, have a safe place to go work outside of the school environment. And so I think that's now a conversation that we're having more openly is how do we make progress on access? And then how can we leverage all this technology to improve student success? And, you know, I think, and I hear this certainly from, you know, my neighbors and I meet people who, you know, are, are focused on their, their child. I think K-12 for years is focused on graduation rates. You know, how do you get your graduation rate, which, you know, across the country right now is a little more than 80%. Historically, we'll see what, you know, it looks like in, in, you know, in 2020. And then also in secondary schools, whether it's community college or four-year universities, you know, the goal is not to send someone to community college. It's It's to get a credential. It's to graduate. And I think we, you know, we talk a lot about the student debt that, you know, college students are accruing. And so how can we use technology to get students through faster to get a credential, whether it's a two-year credential or a four-year credential. And I, and I heard the story once from someone in education policy who said, you know, the education industry has one group, K-12, that measures four-year graduation rates, and then one group, which is higher education, that measures six-year graduation rates. And I just thought that was striking that, you know, we still need to figure out a way and, and if you can lower that and shrink that, you can obviously lower the student debt that, you know, students take on in the higher education world for sure. And then, you know, you still have two, two students out of 10 in K-12 who are not graduating. So what can technology do to make a bigger impact there, you know, going forward? So you're suggesting you can compress the amount of time it takes to go through the process, right? Correct. Matriculation. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, some of that's, you know, we've talked about personalized learning for a long time and and tracking of students. And I think what's one of the, you know, the real shortcomings of this pandemic is, you know, we, we had a hard time keeping track of kids when they didn't have to show up to class every day. And so for a variety of reasons, you know, they needed to work. They didn't have a way to get to school. It wasn't safe. They had to take care of family members, whatever it might be. And I think, you know, that really has to be something that's studied. And how do we do a better job for those, those students who, again, historically would fall behind. And we don't quite know what the impact in their, you know, the education progress that people needed, what this last year has done. But the early indication is, you know, there's a gap that's that's arisen. And how do we address that? You know, you, you struck a point with me on access, right? And I, I've been familiar because I'm part of the Voices for Innovation task force. And Voices for Innovation has always been a big proponent of rural broadband and addressing the gap for people that don't have access to broadband. But then, you know, you talk about the inner city, you talk about people that don't have 
a computer or that don't have a safe place to work or to study. What is being done there? Is there anything specifically that you're seeing that any best practices? Yeah. And I think, Vince, the most important thing is having that conversation. And I, and, and I absolutely would say that now that is discussed a lot more openly than, than before. And, you know, because, you know, students could come to school and we wired the classroom, you know, the students would show up in school, maybe they'd have a laptop, the school would have them access to or a computer lab. And there was, you know, we spent a lot of money in this country to make sure schools have high speed access. And, and all of a sudden, whenever I had to go work or do school from home, you know, there was this, oh, you know, that student doesn't, you know, we don't really know what that environment is like for those students. And, you know, teachers would have calls and they would just see students missing and they don't know why. Is it because they didn't have internet? They had to work. They didn't know they're on their, on their phone. And so I, I think this is a, a big investment. In fact, you saw the one of the federal stimulus packages called the CARES Act um, allocated quite a bit of money, you know, in the previous year to, to schools to focus on this technology gap. And I think the the additional stimulus that's, that's coming from the federal government, hopefully here in the near future, will again try to address some of that that access issue. But it's not just computers, right? And I think you, you mentioned it well, Vince. It's the high speed broadband access, and that's that's harder in some in some cases to help you know students and families get there. So, but I, I think that is absolutely a discussion that's happening now across communities that wasn't happening uh, to the same dynamic previously. So many challenges these institutions are facing. I'd like to dive in a little bit more on the institutions themselves and what I'll call the business of schools, right? Because, you know, you you focus in on learning, but Microsoft also focuses in on helping these organizations better serve the students and the their constituent groups, I guess is what I refer to them as. What are you seeing now in terms of challenges that these organizations are facing running those, those businesses of school? Yeah, I, I think... There's a few things there that I would mention. Um, let me give you a higher example first. So in higher education, in the past year, you know, some of the reports that have come out, they've essentially laid off or furloughed probably over 10% of the people working in the higher education industry in the U.S. And a lot of wow. that's for the, for the budget shortfalls that are happening at the local level, the state level. But it's the biggest loss of employment in a long time in higher education. And so it's very much a people and talent business. So, you know, universities and colleges don't do this lightly. They're obviously trying to squeeze in other areas before they've got to reduce staff. It's not just the people who are supporting the grounds and the food services that were, you know, impacted, but it's, you know, people who do instruction. It's people who support the universities and community college systems. So it's a, it's a big impact. So reducing cost and becoming more productive is certainly a theme. And, you know, when you look at technology, I think there's a couple areas, you know, do you really need to have, you know, nine different security partners when you can leverage, you know, maybe some security solutions, two or three, there's a lot of complexity that having a lot of technology solutions have, if you've got three or 400 applications and vendors you're dealing with at a major university, that complexity has cost. And, you know, I think security is another big issue, things like identity. I mean, everyone's always been very conscious of, you know, healthcare data, but all of a sudden now you're, you're testing students, you're having to track a lot more healthcare data. You know, there's a lot of costs, not just the physical cost of the pandemic, but all the technology costs and the backend costs that 
probably won't abate anytime soon. So, and then I'd say the all the different things around remote, remote and virtual. So, how do you take a computer lab that was designed to you know host kids to access you know very complex software programs that they need for their engineering curriculum or they're using for their art class? And you know how do you make that work virtually? And so there's a lot of challenges that would normally add a lot of cost to the business of schools and, and the explosion of, of data and the demands for technology is you know, only increasing their costs. So there's a lot of things that we're trying to do working with both K-12 and higher ed you know, to essentially address this cost challenge of technology. And you know, certainly cloud computing is one. It doesn't probably make sense for you know, a lot of schools and universities to have, you know, a, a data center with two, two backup data centers for disaster recovery. And so, you know, the education industry has been a little bit of a laggard in adopting things like cloud computing. And now we've seen that really accelerate and to figure out ways how we can do things more efficiently. There's a lot of conversations um, that we're having, you know, to help in those areas. Sounds like an opportunity for our partners. Uh, certainly absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> that. And I think one of the things, Vince, is the, you know, a lot of the K-12 and, you know, the community colleges and higher ed, you know, they don't have huge IT staffs historically. And so they have to rely on our partners to kind of come in and implement solutions that are, are helping them be more productive, save money, be more secure, you know, help with student outcomes. You know, I think in the past that they would kind of like have a potpourri of ed technology that they would have across their institutions. And, and that's that's much harder today. You, you don't have time to just try things and pilot things. You really have to kind of get to an outcome and try to make an impact quickly. You know, education is such a big area. And so for organizations, partner organizations that maybe haven't played in this space, haven't been part of the education story with Microsoft, what would you say to them now? Yeah, you know, one of the great things about the education industry is that people will look for for best practices and solutions from others. And so there is almost like a pride to say, hey, well, this institution's doing it or this school district's doing it. We can try it too. And they share. And I think that's one of the great things about the industry. And so I when I talk to partners, I always say, well, what, you know, where is this solution working? Do you have some pilot customers or some good customers who are using this who would speak you know, to their peers about the success they've had with your solution. And I think sometimes, you know, that's a really important is to kind of foster those, those voices of the customers to keep improving your product and your solutions. And, but also then just get their advocacy. Hey, if this has made a real impact uh, at you, you, your university, your, your school district, you know, would you be willing to do a case study or a blog post or, you know, a tweet, whatever it might be? to get you know, people aware of your solution. The organizations that do that well, and they foster almost like fans of their solution. And you know, when they start to do that across broad geographies and broad demographics, bigger schools, smaller schools, they build kind of a virtuous cycle that customers are advocating on their behalf. And I think that's in many cases, the most important strategy because you get great feedback from those customers too, to keep improving your, your solution. And I think oftentimes, I, I sometimes see partners say, hey, this works awesome in a bank, or this works awesome you know, for manufacturing. And you really need to take time to take that solution and make sure it works, whether it's a horizontal or a education specific, and get some customers who are advocating 
and then and then expand. So I, I and absolutely in this in this day and age where a CIO will tell you they get you know hundreds of contacts every month from different technology partners. You know you need to have you need to have someone who's standing up and saying I actually use this solution and it's made this impact in my institution. Yeah, so relevant proof points, and uh, they all talk to one another too in education, right? Because they're not competing necessarily. They may be competing for students at the university level, but it's not like big corporations. You know, GM doesn't talk to Ford type of thing. <laughs> right. Right. So I want to pivot a little bit here. You know, we've talked about this incredible market that you lead, and you have a very large and very talented team, but this has been a really stressful year. We talked a little bit about this earlier and mindfulness and you know how we're all on our computers and our screens all day long. What are you doing within your own organization to address the balance and the burnout that a lot of the teams are facing and potentially their you know their mindfulness and their ability to work effectively? Yeah, no, that this is a, a a real issue. I think a lot of folks are facing this in a variety of ways, and I. And so I'm pretty proud of what Microsoft's done. So I'll highlight a few things that, that Microsoft has kind of allowed us to do. And then maybe a couple of examples from, from my education team. So I guess first and foremost, being able to work from home, you know, not every job you're able to do that. So, you know, very fortunate that we have that. And then Microsoft very quickly put some policies in place that allowed us to, you know, buy more um, equipment to set up a home office for folks that didn't have that. They expanded, you know, the health benefits, some caregiving benefits. You know, there's a lot of needs for mental health and support. They gave us essentially uh, an additional leave we could take for COVID. You know, someone in your family was impacted or you were impacted personally that you could take. And, you know, even things around wellness to kind of your point. So we, you know, in the, in the past, people would go to a gym or however they would get, you know, their exercise or uh, their outlet. That's been harder. And, you know, Microsoft this year came up with a, essentially a bucket of money that you could use in whatever way you needed to, to help you get through the pandemic. And that could be, you know, money that you could get reimbursed for, you know, running shoes to, you know, your, your exercise equipment at home, tutoring for your, your, you know, your child. And so I, I think Microsoft's done a, a really good job and they just recently gave us five extra vacation days that are kind of labeled well-being days. And so, but it's really important to leverage those you know, it's great that the company has that, but, you know, there still is this pride of, hey, I work, you know, 60 hours a week and I'm helping my customers because there's a lot of need. So what we're trying to do in the education team is to encourage people to use these benefits. And, you know, it's, it's, it's important to take those days off and to take vacation days. And people will say, well, I can't go anywhere or I can't travel. But how can you decompress from what, you know, being on, online for 12 hours a day you know, it's, it's kind of hard to kind of get away from that screen. So, you know, some things we've done is to really encourage people to take these breaks and use these benefits because people are impacted and it's, and it's not easy to tell always what's going on in people's lives. And so it's a, it's a big challenge and we haven't certainly figured it all out, but we're, we're working on it. Yeah. It sounds like some great steps forward. What about your own mindfulness? Is there anything specifically that you're doing? Yeah, I think I've evolved over the last year and you know probably not dissimilar from other people in the first you know three four months i think it was i just felt like you know constant work 
because you know, so you're helping your customers, your team pivot. And so certainly, you know, last year in the end of the winter and the spring, there was a, it was a scramble. And then as the summer came there, there was a lot more lockdowns and there was a couple pauses, but things started getting canceled. And, you know, the obviously the, the virus came back very strong. So I, I had to figure out a way to recharge myself. People talk about putting your mask on first. And so I, I guess the two things I've evolved into, Vince, are I try to get outside every day and kind of almost regardless of the weather, whether it's taking a walk either in the morning, which is, is, is my preference right now, versus the evening, because sometimes I'm just, I'm too tired or there's too many calls that go on late into the evening. Um, but getting outside every day, I think has become really important to me. That and, and spending some time with my family with you know, no screens. I think that's, those are kind of my two go-tos right now to try to keep some semblance of balance. Yeah, I think exercise is just so critical to our, our mental and our physical health, right? So, you know, I'd like to also spend some time here on a little bit more time on you. As you might know, I'm fascinated with how people got to this spot in their career. And being a VP at Microsoft is a pretty big deal. And we had the opportunity to work together. So I would love for you to tell us and our listeners a little bit more about your journey. Yeah, thanks, Vince. I think I've been very fortunate to have, you know, people in my career along the way that have kind of given me good guidance. And, you know, even even from early on, you know, my father was like, hey, go get a degree in engineering. And he was first in his family to go to school. And, you know, he recognized the importance of science and math and what that would do for me and my opportunity. And then once I got into that, then I had people who said, hey, well, you know, you really need to kind of look at this option or that option. So I've been, I've been fortunate that, you know, I had you know, good people along the way, and you know, gave me good advice. And a few of them I'll share is, you know, I went back to grad school at a time when it was, you know, a lot of people weren't doing that right in the kind of the middle of the dot-com boom. And, you know, a lot of people were pivoting to startups in different places. And, and, I, and I joined Microsoft right out, right out of grad school and their MBA recruiting program and did a job in their finance organization. And then just got very fortunate along the way, people saying, hey, really getting a breadth of experience is really important because then you have a really under- good understanding of the business and you need to do roles that involve marketing, roles that involve supporting customers, roles that are international. So, you know, it took some opportunities to go overseas and you know, I worked in Johannesburg in South Africa, and then in, I led some countries in, in Asia based out of Singapore. And so I've been fortunate in the journey to have a broad set of experiences that I can reflect upon. And I use that in those networks I've built you know, in this role. And so I feel very fortunate that I've had some really good advice and you know, the, been in the right place in the right time, I think. So you touched on some of these mentors. Was there any specific or mortal words you received? Yeah, I'd, I'd say there's there's a couple. I'd say one is, you know, if, if I was to reflect on some of the most impactful mentors, one was to focus on your people and make sure you don't lose sight of what the goal is for your customers and your partners. And, you know, so don't get tied up into internal metrics and, you know, the importance of what's important this month or this quarter, but keep that long-term. And, and I'd say the they imparted it in a different way, Vince. They were like, hey, being patient is really important. Don't be, don't be in a hurry to kind of get to the next thing. Make sure you learn 
and you understand the big picture, that's more important than getting, you know, kind of the short term, you know, gratification of, of doing well. But it's really the long term relationships that you're building, the long term learning, you know, being a learner. And that really came to proof, I think, more when Satya took over as CEO of Microsoft in this new kind of learning and learn it all culture. But I had gotten similar advice, you know, previously to say, hey, you know, focus on learning in your journey more so than the destination. So I'd say those are a couple of things that I've certainly carried with me. Yeah, some really great learnings there. I've become obsessed with personal philosophy, especially since we've had Dr. Michael Gervais here as a guest on the podcast. Have you crafted a personal philosophy? I know you've been through the process with Dr. Michael. And if, and if so, would you mind sharing that with our listeners? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I also like a lot of the different, you know, kind of philosophies there are certainly around the mindfulness and the, the personal philosophy. When I went through that process, I, I ended up with something that ended up being like the definition of servant leader. And so my philosophy really has tried to embody that is really to help others. That's really been helpful for me to kind of get that clarity. And, and when I do that and I lean in to help people, whether they're earlier in their career, whether I'm helping my customers, my partners, first of all, I enjoy it. And I think, you know, having that alignment to really enjoying what you're doing. And, and, and again, this philosophy of helping others and being a servant leader, I, I really have tried to embrace that. And so that's, uh, that's a personal philosophy I do share with a lot of people that I'm, I'm more focused on their success. And, and obviously the proof's in the pudding there, right? People are always somewhat, you know, okay, show me. And then, and then they talk to people who, you know, that I've, I've tried to take an interest in and really help them in their career or personally. And I, and I get a lot of pleasure out of that. And sometimes it's very small things and sometimes it's, you know, bigger opportunities for people. I love that. I love that around servant leadership. We had another guest recently on the podcast talk about a similar philosophy. So Jamie, you're hosting a dinner party. And you can have any three guests. And, and this is going to be an, either we're all vaccinated or masked <laughs> and socially distanced. Right. But you're having this dinner party. You've got the opportunity to invite any three guests from the present or the past to attend this dinner party. Whom would you ask to the dinner party and why? Oh, boy, that's a good one. I When I was in South Africa, uh, so a little bit of a disclaimer on kind of who I'm picking and why. So when I was in South Africa, living in Johannesburg, it, it was amazing to me what Nelson Mandela went through as I learned more about him and his history. And so I, I think my first guest would be Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Wow. I mean, his story is unbelievable and how, how you can you know be in prison for that long and come back and still be focused on, you know, that what's the right thing to do for the country. And they still have one of the most, you know, amazing documents that runs their constitution for their country. So I'd, I'd say Nelson Mandela. And I, another one I'd say, if you look at the history, I've read several books recently about U.S. history of around the Civil War time. And I think the challenges that Abraham Lincoln went through from all sides of his life just sound, you know, unbelievably challenging. Uh, imagine leading a, a country and having to deal with the Civil War with all these huge issues. So I think Abraham Lincoln would be kind of guest number two. And then the, the third is probably easier would be my wife. I'm very fortunate to have a great life partner you know, she supports me in so many different ways. And I can't imagine hosting a dinner party without her being the uh, one of the guests. That is fantastic. I love that. I love your answer, by the way. I, I don't know your wife personally, but I imagine it'd be three amazing guests. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> I'd probably get in trouble too if I didn't ask her to. And speaking of amazing guests, Jamie, you have been an amazing guest. I am so excited to have this privilege of hosting you today on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. So for our listeners, do you have any closing comments or remarks and possibly for partners that want to engage with your team, how might they do so? Yeah. First of all, I appreciate the opportunity, Vince. It's, I've really enjoyed, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time working with you in a lot of different capacities. And it's, uh, you know, it's really a privilege to kind of be here and, and spend time. And I think to your first question, like closing comments, suggestions, remarks, I think one of the things that I've really noticed is that people that have optimism and energy and people who can consistently kind of bring that to the day, those people are, are, are just worth their weight in gold. You know, you can get very discouraged in terms of what's going on and I'm not saying you want to be Pollyanna about everything, but, you know, people who have an optimistic outlook and, you know, make sure you you have some of those people in your circle. And I, I you know, I, I consider myself a fairly optimistic person, but it can be hard. I mean, you feel like you've got to pour that water in your team as a leader and who's refilling your jug. And so having some people that you surround yourself that can bring that, you know, that positive outlook and that energy is important. And then advice to partners, you know, I would say I am so bullish what's going to happen in the next year. And I think we're going to take a lot of the learnings and the education industry. And I think you're going to see an acceleration of the economy writ large. And that will trickle down to a lot of schools and states and universities who will then see an explosion of opportunities as they start to adopt technologies, so, you know, still having the best of people being in person, but, you know, leveraging technology and going on a different curve of, of adoption than they probably would have pre-pandemic. And so I would, I would encourage you, if you're not thinking about engaging with Microsoft or you want to figure out how to engage deeper with the education team, we've got a great set of leaders and so, you know, oftentimes, you know, I, I can be helpful, but we've got some great people that run our regions, that run our solution areas. And so making sure you align and partner with them to find those great outcomes or leverage those great examples that you're doing is awesome. Yeah, and I think that's the finding that right opportunity uh, for you, you know, because one success can quickly become two, which can become four, which becomes, you know, 16. And I, I've seen that in multiple cases where partners get in and, you know, have some great success. It just expands. It goes from West Coast to East Coast or vice versa. And so I would just encourage people to continue to persevere. You know, the best is still in front of us. I share your optimism. I share your enthusiasm for the future as well, Jamie. And I want to thank you for being such an awesome guest. And uh, we'll provide links in our show notes for listeners who want to reach out on LinkedIn and other means. But I appreciate you being a guest here on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Yeah, my pleasure, Vince. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at Vince M at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ultimate Partnerships. Ultimate Partnerships helps you get the most results from your partnerships. Get partnerships right, optimize for success, deliver results. For more information, go to ultimate-partnerships.com. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.